welcome back to the Plowcast. I'm Susanna Black Roberts, senior editor at Plow. And I'm Peter Momsen, editor-in-chief of Plow. And today, Susanna will be speaking with Claire Coffey and Dan Walden about multi-level marketing and the monetization of friendship. I was devastated not to be here for what was, I hear, a hilarious conversation. Claire is a freelance writer, published many places, and a Philadelphian expat, and sort of, at this point, a columnist for Plow. Dan is a philologist and essayist whose writing has also appeared in Commonweal, Plow, and elsewhere. It starts with a Facebook message, usually. The name and picture seem vaguely, but not immediately, familiar. Was there a name change since high school? The message itself is both slightly generic and relentlessly chummy, implying a long-standing, easygoing friendship rather than some half-remembered high school acquaintance. Hey girl, writes Jessica. I apologize to Jessica's everywhere, but must speak from lived experience. How have you been? I just want to let you know that I've launched my own business selling beauty counter, doTERRA, et cetera, et cetera. And we're having a sale right now. I wanted to make sure that you didn't miss out, crying, laughing face emoji. Let me know what you want and I'll hook you up. Or if you ever want to chat about the amazing opportunities at Beauty Counter, etc., let me know. When you see this message, do not panic, disconcerting as the tenor of the whole interaction is. You have not suddenly lost your ability to appropriately match social cues with reality. The snaking tendrils of the MLM industrial complex have merely made their way to you. That was uh, the beginning of Claire Coffey's latest piece for Plow called Selling Friends. Um, Claire, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. We also have with us today, uh, because Pete is uh, doing layout and is busy and, and ditched us, Dan Walden, friend of the pod, um, also plow author and kind of bon vivant in general in various ways. Um, Dan, thank you for coming on the pod. Thanks a lot, Susanna. <laughs> oh, of the two of us if we're doing introductions, Dan actually has the impressive resume. He speaks like 15 languages. That's uh, true. Including like Proto-Indo-European. <laughs> Dan, is, Dan is a philologist and um, just puts us both to shame with excellence of various kinds. Uh, Dan doesn't need to have like a personal brand because he speaks 15 languages. That's, exactly. that's sort of how it works. Um, which kind of... Uh, leads us into the topic of this piece and podcast, which is personal branding and multi-level marketing and influencer culture. Claire, do you want to tell us a little bit about the piece? Um, yeah, so I, uh, obviously you asked me to write something about it and I, I more, more or less expanded a mean tweet I made, um, a couple months ago, which was just that if you are, uh, if you've ever been, if you've ever uh, <laughs> gotten an MFA, you don't get to complain about other women's MLMs. <laughs> I think I think I might have actually pitched you because of that tweet. <laughs> yeah, well, I ended up just expanding it into a two thousand word essay. Um, <laughs> just, uh, just, just being, just trying to be honest about <laughs> how we're all. <laughs> We're all up to our necks in this. Uh, yeah, yeah. In this kind of weird pyramid scheme um, culture. Yeah. So you did a little bit of kind of like backgrounding on what an MLM is. Uh, do you want to kind of just explain that in case anyone is at a loss? 
Um, you know, I'm not an expert, but an MLM is basically, uh, it's, it's short for multi-level marketing. Um, and it's a business model, uh, that, uh, you know, the, it recruits people's independent contractors, basically who sell the product to their personal social networks. Um, so like uh, Tupperware parties in the 80s, uh, Mary, Mary Kay, I think, operated this way. Um, and the big ones, uh, the big ones lately have been, I feel like doTERRA got a lot of attention, the, the essential oil company, um, a bunch of like, you know, uh, makeup, makeup brands or MLMs. Uh, what else? There was the legging the one that kind of fizzled out right uh, that was lula Rowe. yeah look well, <laughs> you're omitting the great granddaddy of them all uh so, and i well i live so i live in michigan ah here we go and uh in, in uh, i live on the east side of the state the west side of the state is known for two things um it is for, for having 10 gazillion different calvinist churches um, <laughs> and for uh, the the DeVos family, whose fortune was made uh, at Amway. <gasps> That's <Twist>. right. <laughs> Which actually, I as I not know that, I I actually did know that, and I learned that at a Fort Republic conference at uh, Hope College near mm -hmm. Cullen College, and learning uh, and this kind of like in a kind of associative frenzy of thoughts led me to wonder about. When Blackwater was a kind of like guy-focused MLM thing about selling, <laughs> like I can sort, I can sort of see it. You're selling like your culture of being sort of mercenaries, and you're you're selling, and it's all kind of like part of being like a, a you know, part of this soldier kind of, visionary... of fortune magazine. Yeah, oh, God. I, it's... I was I was in choir with Eric Prince's kid for a year. Uh, what? That, what? Yeah, what? that was yeah, that that was a whole thing. <laughs> oh my goodness! What? Under what? Like at St. John's? Where? Uh, no, 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 uh, no. At at Michigan. At Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I was I, I sang I sang at the Glee Club at Michigan for a decade, uh, and oh one year, uh, I, I don't remember his name. Uh, he he was pretty close to a guy who was who was a good friend of mine. Uh, I, but I, I never, I never knew him, knew him particularly well. But yeah, yeah, he was in the choir for about a year. Just too, too much deep Michigan lore. Yeah, seriously, Eric and Betsy DeVos are brother and sister, I believe. I think that's right. Yes. Anyway, okay, um, okay. Well, I really do kind of like of Blackwater as a kind of MLM <laughs> for guys, um, because because there is because there is like so obviously you know your piece focused mostly in the beginning on you know mommy blogger type people and you know work from home moms who are the major um victims slash perpetrators of mlms there is also this kind of like manosphere like incipient manosphere mlm-ish say which i feel like andrew tate is kind of an example of I feel like that's that's sort of how the whole NFT thing works, right? It's like it, 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 you know, you just have to find a sucker stupider than you, and you do that by telling them they're going to build a legacy by you know buying your 
your your whatever it is uh yeah matt matt brunig has been a a a a, 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 has followed andrew tate for far longer than most people have (laughs) and uh i've I've gotten and if if, listeners to 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 liz and matt brunig's podcast have gotten you know some some real sort of deep lore um and but that I mean that's been the 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 whole structure of the thing for a long time, right? It's it's the real money comes from you know selling these like you know as Clara says in her piece, it's it comes from selling you know proximity. It's uh, you know the money comes from you know membership in you know the you know yeah the the you know, whatever the big man tough guy club or whatever, you know, the, the, the he-man woman haters club from little rascals, uh, but monetized. I'm a hundred percent editing the heck out of this podcast. <laughs> oh, oh boy. My boss's brother, by the way, is the only one who's going to hear the uncut version of this podcast. Okay. Um, okay. Thank God. Anyway, sorry, sorry, Dan, carry on. You were saying. Claire talks in her piece about, you know, the, the, the this sort of, um that it it it, it represents it represents a you know a a transformation of a certain kind of relationship into a commodity form and uh you know i i i appreciated the, her use of the word manabund in there cuz i think I, I think it i think that's completely right um <laughs> susanna's excellent addition <laughs> because the 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 whole point of an association like that uh, uh, is this sort of it, 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 these things were you know in in, in pre modern and even early modern uh, societies were predicated on the basis of some kind of like underlying presumed reciprocity that there is there, there's just sort of an exchange of of favors always happening. And like nobody's really keeping track, and you just sort of you know, and and and, and you know, I mean, and this is how this is how healthy friendships work, right? You know, you your your friend does you a favor, and like you want, and you know, you want to pay them back in kind, but like maybe you can't pay them back in kind, but you you make a symbolic payback, and it's enough. Someday, and that day may never come. I will ask you to do me a favor. <laughs> I'm in this movie right now, right? I and you know, I I had a friend come over uh, on uh, on Saturday night to help me just like pack away my library into boxes, and uh, we filled thirty bankers' boxes with books, and I was and it, it was like, yeah, we'll just hang out and box things up, and I'll buy the pizza and beer, and you know, right? Is that actually like monetary repayment for their labor? No, but it's like you know we're it's it's a in the context of a healthy relationship of reciprocity the 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 act of just making an effort at repaying somebody is becomes enough um whereas whatever this thing is is just, well one it's there's nothing reciprocal about it it it's all it's all you know a bunch of people shoveling money into the pit uh it, 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 in it and it's it's unclear what's actually being exchanged here because 
what the, I, you know, Claire says, and I think she's totally right. What they're after is a, a kind of proximity to glory, to what they see as a, <clears throat> a you know, a, a powerful man. Uh, and, you know, they, you know, they want to, they want to form part of his court or whatever. Um, but like, whether that's actually taking place, uh, it's, it's not, it's not clear. It's not clear that it is. But they're not actually sacking any cities together. You, you were the city that gets sacked. <laughs> yeah. Or the female version, uh, the female version is that you are both included in the kind of inner ring of this, you know, mommy blogger with a messy blonde po- ponytail you're kind of you're included in her friend group and you're also kind of like on your way to becoming her in some way you're a cool mormon which is the kind which is the sort of yeah which is i guess this is the sort of longhouse version um which is i mean on male and female sort of social anxieties in different ways which Sina, is did you just say longhouse yeah i'm sorry i can cut that too <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. I roast you for that for the rest of your life. I know that. I know that. I apologize. I'm sorry. Yes, I. <laughs> I've listened to too many bad podcasts. <laughs> that is the fundamental disease of our time like the too many podcasts it's like it's like what like neurasthenia was or however you say yes. in the 19th century except like, oh podcast disease. maybe maybe we could get like sent to like a swiss sort of hotel where they would you know put us outside in the cold but wrapped up warmly as a way to cure us <laughs> Of knowing who Bronze Age pervert is <laughs> to cure, <laughs> to cure podcast brain. We, yeah, we just we need to get sent to the sanatorium in Davos and in, encounter a guy who's actually just Renaissance humanism as a person. Yes, <laughs> to our lives, our minds will be. Clean. Except then there'll be the First World War, and that'll be sad. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. not good. Boy, this podcast is different than it is when. People um sorry peter Peter. all right the the section that we are talking about is the section about sort of manosphere influencer culture in fact if you start looking the move from straightforward friendships of utility common to realtors sales managers professionals of all stripes towards commodity friendship itself pops up more and more it is the engine d- that drives all the parasocial professions, where posters, podcasters, content creators of all kinds, both from creating cultural products, many of them very good, um, as this podcast is, I added that, but also from managing their own clout and their audience's access to it. The parasocial professions cl- clustering around the intersection of the Jim Bro dilett- and dilettante personal finance industries may be as paradigmatically masculine examples as MLMs are of paradigmatically feminine. Many men must have bought obviously worthless NFTs from their preferred weightlifting, stoicism, raw social media personalities, not because they had a considered belief in their value, but because it was a pledge of membership in the manner bund of their influencer warlord. Wealth, power, legacy flow from proximity to him just as the spoils of war were once distributed among the rank and file of a step conate. He is the ring giver. The booty that he provides takes the form of supplements. And though you have to pay for them, they're probably on sale. Um, so it 
So it's what you are trying to describe here, Claire, is a common pattern of contemporary social life slash economy. And although the MLM field, MLM is the most obvious and paradigmatic example, starting with um, apparently the DeVos family, um, everything that we kind of, including in our own horrific professions, um, is downstream to a certain degree from that. And I, I do think that one thing that I did kind of like, um, I do kind of want to like plug is the, the possibility that like, it's so it's appealing because it's sort of like Paris real stuff. And I don't think ourselves to get cynical about the sort of good that it's parasitic on just because it's, you know, clearly got these kind of parasites of relationships and the monetization of friendship and stuff, because I actually do think that journalism is worthwhile. And I think that you know, academia is worthwhile, even though Anne Helen Peterson had this great piece about how grad school is kind of like an MLM, which I, I'm not going to send to you, Dan, because I want you to read it. Um, and I, like, I just, I, I feel like I don't, I don't think it's to stop doing things because we're worried they've been MLMified. We just need to like try to help, like try to make them not MLMified. Yeah, I mean. I guess in my like ideal society, um, journalism is basically a leisure activity. Um, but until the coffees take the throne of the Windsors and reintegrate Christendom under our iron fist, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'll be able <laughs> to, to uh, like, uh, I don't, I don't see this happening anytime soon. And I'm fine with, you know, uh, I don't, I. You know, I am, I'm still a working writer. Yeah. I'm obviously able to live with this. Um, I think it's, uh, I think I don't see any real, um, as, as sort of the big, the big tent poles of journalism kind of collapse one by one because it becomes more sub sort of sub stackized where you're just trying to build a personal brand and get this tiny sliver of followers that are, you know, paying for your content enough to keep you personally um, funded in a way that a whole magazine would have once been funded. I think it's inevitable that we're going to see more of this, more kind of um, personal brand selling. Um, I think, I mean, I think you can, you can at least always laugh at it. Uh, some of it is inevitable. Some of it is to be resisted, but in, in, in all cases, it can be laughed at. That's helpful. My brother and my father were both over, I guess, like, um, over the winter reading George Kissing's Street for some reason. And they're both like Hollywood writers, basically. And it's a it's a novel about like the horrors, the horror of Victorian or like post Victorian, like Edwardian um, popular journalism, and trying to make a living through being a journalist. Uh, I guess like the 1910s. And it's incredibly bleak and like th they were both like reading it and being like, why are we still reading this? And they couldn't stop. So I, to a certain degree, possibly it's all like it has always been thus. Well, there was there is that sweet spot in the mid-century. Like I want to I want to go back to that like interwar period where you'll get like, you know, like the partisan review to, I don't know, pay you like two dollars a word for a really rude article about one of your best friends 
Yeah, but that was funded <laughs> by the CIA, Claire. Like, I'll take CIA money to write mean articles about Mary McCarthy. I'll totally take CIA. CIA, I'm right here. Claire will write all the mean articles about Mary McCarthy that you want her to. I just feel like if you're going to sell out, you should sell out big. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like this is probably like the crossover between the um, sort of Blackwater as MLM and kind of like, <laughs> you know, little magazine culture as. So, OK, this is like way too. This is a psychotic podcast. We, sh we should get we should get Blackwater funding. We should get black. No, we can't get. This is an Anaptist podcast. We're not getting Blackwater funding or, <laughs> or CIA funding. No. Okay, I'm putting okay, my okay. foot down. Okay. Okay, you're right. We're on the subject of writers right now. And I think, like, <clears throat> the. I mean, <clears throat> Claire's, you know, tweet that, that, that launched a, a, a thousand weird podcasts uh, <clears throat> about, uh, you know, MFAs is not you know is i mean is apt in a lot of ways i mean you know it's been a criticism for you know decades at this point <clears throat> that the mfa <clears throat> is basically a pay to network degree and that you know the, and and the, and that <clears throat> you know mostly what you're getting out of it is you know a a, a network of people who are who have a vested interest in your works in your work succeeding and you can always turn to them for positive reviews and like i've seen this happen i i <clears throat> i reviewed <clears throat> i reviewed a book for a novel for gawker last spring r.i.p memory Speaking eternal of, you know the collapse of collapse of venues you know right 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 this time last year pour, I, pour some pour some for them or something i reviewed a, a novel for gawker last year it was an iowa alum's first novel so i have a writer workshop to clear yeah um listeners. yeah speaking of cia shit um <laughs> i saw it praised publicly by a writer whose work i admire tremendously who uh you know who is you know who has won a number of awards and deserves to win more a writer who who, uh, who has done what I think is excellent work, um, whose novels I admire, whose criticism I admire, um, you know, was backing this novel. And frankly, this novel was not very good. Uh, it was it was you know pretty thoroughly mediocre, attempting some interesting things, and it you know it did a couple of neat tricks, um, but. It wasn't a good novel, but this, you know, again, it uh, th this this much more accomplished and I think much better writer was also an Iowa alum, and so there's a, you know, there's a certain, um, you know, there's a certain amount of sticking together um, that happens, especially, uh, you know, in a uh let's say, you know an in, an institutional set uh with the kind of reputation for success that a place like the Iowa Writers Workshop has uh, but you see this all over the place it's sort of like the more successful novelists come to Iowa Writers Workshop the more valuable an Iowa Writers Workshop sort of thing on your CV is therefore it's in the interest of everyone who goes to Iowa 
to review everyone else who has gone to Iowa. That is the framework, I believe. Yeah, and it, right. And in, in a lot of industries, we would call this unethical. Um, but since writing is totally unregulated and based entirely <laughs> on who you met at a cocktail party, um, well, thank God. We, I we mean, just I, have no problem with it at all. I mean, I don't want there to be like a sort of like licensing department for because we'd all fail and and we'd be in constant violation <laughs> and they would like give us like you know they would find i don't know the equivalent of cockroaches and you know well, then they would <laughs> that, no i think that's that, that that's a good the, this comes around to like a really a really sort of good point of discussion though because any look you know, we're, we're all, we're, we, we've all, we've all, we've all seen past the veil here. Meritocracy is fake. It doesn't exist. It never has. Um, everybody is doing favors for their friends. And like, it's not a bad thing to do favors for your friends. Like, no, let, it let, is let, not. let's, let's you, be very clear about this. You are doing Claire and me a huge favor because I just reached out to you like two hours before this. So yes, Thank it you, is Dan. very good. It is very good for Dan to do favors for his friends. You are a mensch. And I and I've got I mean I have I've gotten <clears throat> I've gotten jobs because just because of, you know, of who I knew. And and like and look. <clears throat> and that's you know that's the way that's the way getting jobs works. That's the way you know getting opportunities works. It is always it is always about who you know and there's no way to make it otherwise it's a human thing it seems to me right we tried we tried raw meritocracy and as it as and as it turns out like it just doesn't work like you you, you you what you end up doing is you end up giving a veneer of sort of meritocratic luster to you know other ways that like rich people buy buy, buy favors behind the scenes uh as opposed to before meritocracy, when everybody just knew that rich people bought stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree that it's not bad to do papers for friends. I have no problem with that. I think what was just when I was thinking about writing about MFAs, it was like distinct to me and somewhat, you know, hyperbolized in this piece was so often it seems to me that like the best, the most stable way to make a living as a writer is to teach writing, um, which sometimes, which sometimes can just be you know, which doesn't strike me as a problem if you're just teaching writing as sort of a good across all human domains and you happen to be very good at it, so you're teaching it. But there does sometimes seem to me with like creative writing departments, something a little like, yeah, so you're trying to help people get break into this industry that you can only scrape out a living in because you're teaching younger entrants how to break in. <laughs> Wait a minute. So here's here's the here's the way out. Because so my dad did this. He was originally a poet, and then he got married and realized he couldn't make a living being a poet, um, especially because he was writing a lot of his cases. poems like in in chalk, on like sidewalks in Paris, and then he <laughs> and then he became a novelist. And so, you know, being a sort of like, you know, literary novelist also is not. It can kind of work for a while, but then when you have a kid who's like, you know, entering kindergarten it, it begins to be a little shaky so then he got a job uh teaching creative writing he was a writer in residence at mount holyoke 
like that is the way that's that's the path but the the next stage the next stage is that he went to hollywood so there is a kind of like breakthrough actual mark it just means that you like you have to get out of the east coast maybe that's the solution just a little housekeeping don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on itunes Susanna will be back with the rest of her conversation with Dan and Claire after the break. Yeah, I mean, like, if I'm honest, I am a writer, like, both because it's the only thing I'm good at, and B, because I am kind of a lumpen bohemian who just does not want to have a real job. I do not like going to work. I do not like having a boss. I would rather starve than have a boss ever again. I'm looking for a job, by the way. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if any listeners have a job for Claire, please just DM me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, but I think probably for me, it's going to be um, um, some, you know, part-time and itinerant work like, that I have picked up a different to supplement my income, um, you know, bartending, factory work, different things. And, or just, you know, eventually when I get my little trailer in the woods of Pennsylvania and go full, full Unabomber, um, you know, <laughs> raising, raising hogs on nuts, um, creating the American Ibirico. Anyway, that's the long-term dream. <laughs> I think I, the, the path to happiness for me at least is probably writing and then also doing other things as needed um mm-hmm. because you know the, those kind of jobs can be picked up and put down they're not yeah they're not a career and so they don't trap you yeah which i mean this only is worthwhile if what you're doing is like making something that's really good and you're a very good writer and therefore i'm very pleased you. that you're willing to be a kind of hand-to-mouth hog raising you know, Lumpen bohemian. <laughs> Lumpen. Uh, uh, it benefits all of us, but it does kind of. But so okay, we've gotten very far from the topic of this. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry. Of this podcast, which <laughs> so supposed which to is Claire's fact, career. <laughs> no, we we also do career consultation for like Lumpen bohemians and uh, we're educated, you know, philologists and you know weird like sailing obsessives like this is one of the things that we do here at plow (laughs) so please write in with your questions about your career path and and how you can monetize yourself more effectively Um, and we will have that except because it's the bruderhof they'll probably just like invite you to sell all that you have and lay them at the feet of the apostles and you know um do an act do probably what we should be doing anyway and therefore we all win okay um and um, they will probably ask you if you can use a lathe yes they will ask you if you can use a lathe can you use a lathe claire um i don't think i can use a lathe but i can butcher rabbits that's true you do you are very good stock yeah you've been like killing small animals lately right (laughs) yeah it's a lot of stuff the woods yeah okay um yeah, I can't use a lathe, sadly either, um, which is why they don't work in the uh, furniture factory. The, I'm okay. We, I'm cutting all of this. This is total nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Let's reorient ourselves. We had the bit about like the di- like the difference between like 
you know, finding work through your relationships. And then we were sort of starting to contrast this with sort of like the monetizing of yes. your network. Yes. Okay. So this is a good one. So what is the distinction between the normal process of nepotism and, you know, getting jobs here for your friends? And Adam Bello actually has this uh, book, Saul Bellis on call and pray I just got, um, which I, I'm going to find comforting. Um, so what's the difference between that, which is a kind of like common human thing, not bad, I don't think, and the monetization of relationships that happens on specifically, you know, it, it didn't originally happen on the internet. And it just seems that the internet, particularly Facebook and then Instagram, are just incredibly fruitful and kind of like, they're like accelerants for a certain kind of um, self-marketing and selling of your social proximity that seems a lot sketchier than the normal getting jobs for your friends thing. What What is the distinction and what does the internet have to do with it? I mean, I'll, I'll take a stab at it first. Um, I think, I think there's like there's three sort of ways this can go, right? You can you can get do favors for your friends because you love them, and you would love them in the same way if they were unable to ever do a favor for you. Um, and then you can have sort of a little below that you can have just kind of, just kind of, you know, common garden friendships of utility where you can be useful to each other, and you are, and and you have some affection coming out of that. But that's kind of the basis of the friendship. Um, your your kind of networking acquaintances. And that's, you know, that's a very common, very old thing too. Um, it's, you know, it's not the most beautiful thing, but it doesn't, it's not new. Um, what seems somewhat new to me is, um, is not just the using of, using of friends for something, but the idea that the friendship is actually what you're selling. Um, that they want to be your friend and so they'll buy your product, not they'll they'll buy your product because they're your friend. That seems kind of, and that seems very wrapped up in the, the whole, uh, the, uh, the selling of the self as this like wonderful thing, this wonderful sort of total like life package that, that you can kind of create through a screen um, and that people want want access to, want to be part of, want to imitate. I agree with what with what Clara said has said so far. I think the the internet dimension of it, I think, comes in. It, the internet makes people more brazen because it has a distancing and anonymizing effect. Even if you're posting under your real name with your, with with a photograph of your face, there is there's a distancing and anonymizing effect, nonetheless. Um, that is going to make people more brazen in sort of in in making the kinds of asks that you know you would be ashamed to make in person. Um, and, and, and I mean, it's you know, really, it's the same. It's the same impulse at work, you know, that is leading you know. Uh, that is leading in, in, in desperate, uh, desperate, you know, lonely, uh, maybe somewhat disturbed men to send inappropriate messages and photographs to a gazillion different women on the internet because, you know, it's just like, well, 
I might as well. And, I, and, and, you know, if you, you know, you make enough attempts and you get a hit and that's essentially the same thing that's at work. You know, when the person you haven't spoken to in 15 years hits you up on Facebook about their MLM, um, it's, you know, they're, because it's over the internet, they're less ashamed of it. Um, and it's, uh, and you know, and who knows? They might they might get a hit. You know, I've I've been on the rece- I've been on the I've been on the receiving end of marketing messages like that. And I mean, I I just started a Substack, and I've you you know I've used my Facebook and my Instagram to post links to my first couple of articles, and it feels it feels iffy. And I've kept I've told myself, uh, uh, reassured myself, and reassured my friends like. I'm only going to do this a few times. I just want to make people aware of it, whatever. But like, do I hope that people pay for it? Yes, obviously I hope people pay for it because I would like money. I would like to keep having a roof over my head and to keep drinking good whiskey. <laughs> um, like, <clears throat> of course, I, you know, I, you know, I want people to, you know, I want people to, to read my writing, you know, because I like when people read my stuff, but I also want them to pay to read my writing because I like having money. Um, and there's not an easy sort of separation there, you know, I am engaging in the same thing, you know, that, that, that more sort of brazen marketers are doing, uh, you know, I'm trying not to do it in a way that's, you know, violating, uh, a, you know, a, a, a sort of code of social behavior, but like, that's a, that that's a that's a yeah that's not a hard and fast line it's a it's a fuzzy one and it's one that varies between people and between communities not bad alistair and my um substack doesn't have a we haven't figured out how to turn thing like people have tried to pay for it but we don't know how to get the money that they've tried to give us um but i would like to i think we should try to um but yeah, meanwhile no, I, I think you should try to get that money yeah. If I have a Substack, it's just going to become like descriptions of my favorite bars in North Idaho. Like, what, so when, I, what's I would, wrong I with read, that? I, I would, Claire, I if would you read had that a, in a heartbeat. If you, <laughs> I, it would be one of my favorite reads. So my current, some of my current yeah, favorite Substack amazing. reads, uh, yeah, are my sister. <laughs> my sister-in-law has one um, called "Safe and Warm" about life in Louis, and I I love it because she's hilarious. Claire, do you remember that piece that you and I and uh, I can't remember who else, like a but a bunch of other people wrote for First Things. We wrote a listicle. I think the only oh, that First Things very, has ever published, vaguely. which was called. Yeah, I have vague memories of this. All right. So here, here it is. Hot takes and it's for your hip Christian women's magazine by Susanna Black, Claire Coffey, Maggie Kelly, Leela Labresco Sargent and Alexi Sargent. This was 2016. This is legendary. Oh, oh no. I am oh, 100% wow. dropping a link to this in the show notes. Eggs Benedict option, Please. saving Western civilization over brunch. 10 F scream gender realism. Uh, forming intentional communities, 10 ways to spot a frenemy. You're more than a piece appropriate. You're more than a piece of meat. Getting him to see you as a walking advertisement for a vaguely retro hipster lifestyle brand. I think that one was mine. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
one of the kind of, all right, this is, we, we are actually starting to podcast again. One of the interesting, um, I guess, transitions morphs between two different areas of, um, I guess, self-presentation and self-marketing, which has happened recently, is uh, Elizabeth Holmes. So Elizabeth Holmes was originally part of the Silicon Valley. Obviously, she's the director of, what was it called? Theranos. Theranos, right. The the sort of, it was a biotech that turned out to be a grift. It was originally sort of a very exciting biotech startup in the kind of Silicon Valley break things and influence people or whatever it is. Um, sort of ethos but it turned out to be a, a grift and she was sent to jail and she is i think out of jail i guess but she is anyway she's transformed herself sorry there was just a profile of her that everyone was freaking out about i didn't read it right um, because she, because she's transformed herself from a kind of like silicon valley black turtleneck um you know that kind of influencer to a sort of mommy blogger. Steve Jobs. Yeah, she, so she was originally kind of like a zero to one startup person. And she is now rebranded as Liz Holmes. And she is now sort of aiming to be perceived as a kind of wholesome mommy blogger type. Well, she knows the age of the girl boss is over. The trad wives are trying to rise. <laughs> They don't have that dog in them, so they won't succeed. Oh, I, there are some terrifying trad wives out there. And I mean, the founder of LuLaRoe, this, um, what's her name? The, the Mormon who founded LuLaRoe, was a terrifying trad wife sort of, you know, I guess, ambition mongerer. So maybe LuLaRoe is the future in that. Yeah, well, the, the, way, the reason that... The reason that's not gonna the reason that's not gonna happen is you know we we're all chronically underestimating like a really really important demographic and the, the, now I'm stealing from one of my own tweets we are we are underestimating the power and the numbers of the demographic of people who do like woo woo vibe stuff but who also think January sixth was good oh, uh, and yeah. th there's a lot yep. of them. <laughs> um, and and you mean that that I mean, I mean that that's like one of the fastest growing demographics in you know the rapidly becoming former Bible Belt, right? I mean, e evangelical disaffiliation is is not coming with a with a, a decline in what we might call like spirituality or you know. <clears throat> They're, they're, you know, they're not all becoming like English empiricists. <laughs> um, well, I mean, even and, there was um, the the guy with the the horns at January sixth itself. Yeah, the Q shaman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is the post Christian right, and it's it's not just that it's like, I and mean, obviously there are some of them who are terrifying and seriously kind of fascist, but then there are some of them really flaky, and that's fascinating. Like the rise of the flaky right. Yeah. Well, and 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 it, there's a, and I'm like, I think you know the kind of you know stuff that is gonna move into like you know in like the MLM space, and into that sort of like religious MLM overlap. Um, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be the trad wife stuff. You know, they're not they're not they're not gonna be you know mon monetizing their like quasi schismatic parish or whatever. Um, <laughs> It's gonna be 
the like it you know it's it's going to be stuff that it the kind of thing that like that like Tara Burton has written about it's going to be like the Christian weight loss movements there's a there's a great HBO documentary about about remnant fellowship in suburban Nashville which was which is a, a you know a massive mega church started by and led by a woman that was basic that was basically a weight loss oh program oh my gosh uh, and that was and and that and that was you know basically relying on the the kind like <clears throat> combining like you know MLM direct marketing tactics you know what what, what you know, overlapping with what we might call direct evangelism um with you know the the kind of i guess um in group solidification that we tend to associate with churches that are maybe starting to look like cults that are clustering around like one charismatic pastor um and yeah and and it, and it, and it starts as a weight loss group uh, i mean that that's and by the way, that church still exists. The 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 woman who started it is dead. She died in a plane crash, and her daughter is running the church now, and it's still there. Lord. Wow. Um, so like that's, I mean, that's where, the, you know, you know, again, in in these like, like vast exurbs that still have some population density, um, but are not, you know, you know, they're 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 not urban. You know, this kind of thing. It does not often happen in urban centers. It, it, it is very much a, a, a kind of suburban exurban phenomenon, um, and those those places still exist, and those demographics are still there. This is going back to obviously pre-internet uh, age, but very much not back to pre-sort of consumer capitalist age. It's not that different than Norm Vincent Peale stuff. Like there is a certain which is which was sort, no, not sort of Trump's church, which I'm not sure if it was Christian explicitly or if it was kind of like. It was self-helpy. It was um, Marble Prez. Okay, so it was Presbyterian. Okay, uh, in in, right. in New York. Uh, but that kind of self slash religious vibe, there's that's also huge, and that is um, so. John Maxwell is a kind of good example of that. I don't know if you guys know that guy, but he's a kind of self-helpness, excellence, leadership. Le- leadership is like a big kind of phrase in in those circles where, yeah, where it's like it's not clear whether discipleship or teaching how to be a good salesman or teaching how to follow Jesus or or doing spiritual disciplines. Can you talk a little bit about um, the part of the piece where you discussed the the way that this doesn't really, you know, we can't really escape this by going into the kind of like, quote unquote, professional world, as opposed to being louche bohemians of various kinds, because LinkedIn has become um, something that you basically have to present yourself on the way that you have to present yourself on Instagram. What is that culture like? Yeah, I just, um, I, 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 I found that <laughs> when I was last in the professional world, easily the most humiliating part about it was the, the sort of, uh, expect the, the norms around LinkedIn and participation in LinkedIn as this kind of like professionalism. Um, and, which just, you know, means like constantly, you know, gassing everyone else up when they get a job, which that's nice. That's, that's great, I guess. But, but everyone is just constantly, everyone who's like using LinkedIn and really trying to max out its value, um, is like constantly posting these 
narratives of, you know, going to a new opportunity, like, so excited to, to I've, I've learned I'm really passionate about companies that are in transformative spaces and I'm taking the brave step to pursue that. Just, um, just it, it's really hard for me off the top of my head to give a sense of it, um, but a, a, a constant self-narration that really is, I think, in parallel to what you see on Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, and it and it's just seems more and more ubiquitous and more and more important if you're trying to actually you know use it to to network or make uh, make contacts and especially if you're you know representing your company in some way um, yeah so I, I just I guess I don't think part of the point of this piece was I, there's been a lot of a lot of hate on MLMs and deservedly and a lot of pieces covering out why they're bad and I kind of wanted to go beyond that and say what is this weird through line that seems to be just everywhere and there doesn't seem to be a way uh any kind of computer job where you can really get away from it so the solution is live in the woods and make cured hams yeah that's my really helpful <laughs> um but I, I don't know i i i just i just decided i didn't want to use linkedin um just felt too it actually just felt humiliating. I felt like I was, uh, like every once in a while, some um, some sad sad boy on Twitter talks about like you know the terrible degradations of modern life to the young man of spirit when he should be, you know, conquering cities. And mostly it's like, all right, let's see you do a push up first. But I with LinkedIn, I sort of get it. Like this is just not how people should talk or think about themselves. And I don't want to, I don't want to do this. <laughs> the closest I've come to that is when I used to work, um, when I was doing my deckhand job and I was working down by the base of wall street, um, sailing on this clip, this like tall ship. And we would do, you know, tourist sails around the statue of Liberty. And we would try to get, and I was, and part of my job was to just sort of get people to come on board. And a lot of the people I was trying to get, on board were these guys who worked on Wall Street who would get lunch and then they would go and sit on like Pier 17 and they would sit there and it just felt like they were living in this sort of world of self-maximization in a very, very narrow way. And they were obviously doing well because they were like literally working on Wall Street, but it felt like they needed to be rescued in some way and i i would try to rescue them by getting them to like buy to come on the boat but um it it kind of it it somehow felt to me like the energy that i had to try to get these guys like to stop being wall street and come on come come sailing was really like that is the kind of energy we should have for evangelism because it is a little bit like that it's like stop being you know profit maximizing people who are like living your lives in in service of incredibly boring men like not but like mammon that makes you like use buzzwords and like come start living a human life and i feel like that is kind of what evangelism is um and but i felt it very powerfully about people coming on this boat as well yeah so I think the 
the point that like that LinkedIn is sort of this endless succession of narratives, I think is really, really vital, I think, because everyone who's posting on there is like aware very explicitly at some level that like they have to be posting something that is like a narrative of success, right? That like the, that's what gets the engagement. They, they you know, no, nobody's interested. You know, the, the LinkedIn algorithm is not going to highlight stories of like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of struggling right now. Uh, it doesn't prioritize honesty. It, it prioritizes, you know, just endless success narratives. And that's, <clears throat> you know, I think Susanna's like totally right. I mean, this is, this is like what Christianity is in the business of rescuing people from, right? Because <clears throat> there's a great, <clears throat> there's a great sermon by Herbert McCabe where he talks about like, you know, that, that, so much of sin is failure is a failure of realistic self-love that is that you you we create we create an idol which is which is which is a false image of ourselves uh and it, and it, it, it you know it can be false in a number of ways it can it can be it can be too we, we can be despairing and think of ourselves as too wretched or we can be thinking of ourselves as as like you know <clears throat> always on the up and up and <clears throat> But either way, like whatever your relationship to an image like that is, it's not going to be healthy and it can't be a relationship of love. You have to be able to take a look at yourself really in the mirror and be like, you know, yeah, <clears throat> here's what I am. I have, there are these good things about me and there are these bad things about me. And that's, that's just the way it is. And that's okay. And I can know that because I know that God loves me and I can learn to love myself in some way. And so also, you know, learn to love other people in this way as well. <clears throat> but <clears throat> this, you know, the kind of success grind kind of narrative. I mean, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I think you made, it's, Suzanne, I mean, you made the point that it's, it's, it's not even fun. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're not, we're not encouraging people to have vices on this podcast here, but like, Man, if you're gonna have if if you're if you're gonna you know if you're gonna be in the service of mammon, at least make your vices <laughs> fun. Like, you know, like go 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 get the three martini lunch, man. <clears throat> you know, like it, it, like it, if you're if you know, it, it's like you know it's like the you know, Silicon Valley tech CEO opt self optimization stuff. You know, it's like. It's all like, you know, bulletproof coffee and green juice. I'm like, you know, dude, where is the foie gras? Like, where is, this, where is the $400 Bordeaux? Like, where, where are the things that are fun? I mean, I do think that it is interesting the way that asceticism kind of does kind of, there is this attempt in some of the highest levels of the world to rediscover a kind of asceticism in the sense of like dopamine fasting, which I think Jack from Twitter, like if you see yeah. pictures of him, he kind of looks like a, you know, Orthodox monk of some kind or like a starets. Um, and I, I, like whether it's, you know, whether it's feasting or fasting, it just feels like it's in service of something that is smaller than you. And, and that's kind of, they all just need Jesus. That's what it's. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It's yeah, true. No, right. That's true. That is true. Yeah, that, reason, that yeah, is, just, yeah the... y'all need Jesus. <laughs> I do think, so I do think like, I want to circle back around to the idea that like, there's so much, I don't, I feel like the bad takeaway from this would be like, 
everything that you do sounds that some that suddenly starts to feel like it's MLM or influencer culture influenced is terrible and corrupt. Like I think there's too like everything is kind of influencer culture culture influenced and that's bad, but at the same time there's like in life there are things that are worthwhile doing. And it's kind of like everything is influenced by capitalism, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do sort of that it's bad to start a business. You know, like I just I feel like we shouldn't be too so worried about getting sucked into the stuff that we despair i guess no i mean and i you know i get it's the piece i i am i'm in these professions i'm in this world i don't and i wouldn't be in them if i didn't think if i didn't want to be in them um if i didn't think there was there was a good reason to be in them um yeah i think i don't know i think the piece is more descriptive i think than it is prescriptive I don't think that there's a there's a clear um I think there are internal internal virtues that can you know resist the really grotesque stuff um but I don't think yeah I I I don't actually think um it is incumbent on me to like you know never work as a uh, as a content producer again or something uh good <laughs> if there's one thing that like a, a like monastic spirituality teaches you it's that like that there is no running away from this like the, the monasticism is not actually a flight from the world because the world is there too you know you you don't get you don't get to we can't isolate ourselves from this the, uh, that's that's why it's called the sin of the world right it's 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 not necessarily, it's not located like entirely in us. It's in the way that the world is built. And, you know, we're participating in it all the time. And, you know, we, we do our best. We, we try, we, you know, we try to avoid doing things badly for bad reasons, you know, for inhuman reasons, but we don't always. And, and, you know, you, you know, take that up with Jesus, tell him you're sorry, and then move on and try to do better. Um, and that's just, that's, that's the way, that's the way you go. A solution would be because all of these things are parasitic on good stuff. Like, so, you know, even the, so like the, the mommy blogger thing is parasitic on like good female friendship or good friendship in general. And so like, just, and some mommy bloggers are extremely yeah. funny. They're doing really good work in a really f funny uh, form. Um, and and, to, and, and I, should, I should add, like you know, doing doing important work because you know we all know that like you know th that you know women's health issues and and uh, and 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 you know women's social issues and and the the isolation that often comes upon new mothers when they're in the house taking care of an infant is extremely real. And it's very like hard and, and you know, people need communities and sometimes they can only find them online and it's good that they find what they, what they yeah. can. I mean, ideally it would be, I guess, like a, a village of other women who are also raising children at the same time, but lacking that it's not bad to like go on Instagram. But so just like, it just seems to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, 
I think I have a strong preference for like, maybe it's just because I am like for textual forms of this. I do feel like there's something about Instagram that makes it really, really hard yeah. to do it well. Um, uh, and, and the, and the TikToks, I mean, so, a lot of them are, a lot of them are quite funny and ingenious, but, um, there's something about those little, those little short clips of your life that you're presenting that's like both too identified with you personally and, and not close enough to, to really, I don't know. I, I'd have to think more about what exactly seemed a problem with Instagram and TikTok to me, but I, I don't mean absolutely. I, I just think it's harder to do well. I'm hearing you say that it's easier to be virtuous on Twitter. <laughs> no, no, just it's, it's the, the vices are different. That's all. No, I, no, actually, I was thinking more of the actual the era of mommy blogs, like the actual yeah. long form blogs. Um, I, I would, I would want to salvage them, you know, in, in, in the great purge of content, um, a lot faster than I would a lot of the, uh, the, the TikTok this is content. Why, I mean, I do think radio paper, which is this social media thing that our friend, um, David Singold started. Dan, are you on it? I'm, I'm not yet. I, I, I feel like I probably will be at some point. Everyone, everyone will be pulled in at some point. Yeah. It feels to me more like the comment section of a blog, which is a very good feeling. And there's a lot less meanness and dunking and it's longer and kind of more awkward way, I think. And nobody seems to be selling anything at the moment. They're just like debates about the ontological status of AI. Um, well, okay, on that note, there's enough here to make a podcast. <laughs> there probably is, there may be enough here to make a podcast after I take all the compromising parts. We'll see. <laughs> Again, this is a totally chaotic uh, attempt at something that we, this is not normally the format we do. And um, thank you both for pitching in. Thank you. Well, this is yeah, very was fun. Fun no, to talk so to you guys. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks a lot for roping me on right. this. This was great. Thanks for uh, sort of being willing to leave your trailer hitch, even though you didn't have to. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Talk later. Bye bye. Talk to you later. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast needs met and share with your friends. For a lot more content like this, check out plow.com for the digital magazine. You can also subscribe. $36 a year will get you the print magazine, or for $99 a year, you can become a member of Plow. That membership carries a whole range of benefits, from free books to regular calls with the editors, to invitations to special events, and the occasional gift. Our members are one aspect of the broader Plow community, and we depend on them as a kind of extra advisory council. Go to plow.com membership to learn more. On our next episode, we'll be speaking with Tara Isabella Burton about her new book, Self-Made, Creating Our Identities from Da Vinci to the Kardashians.